Welcome to Second Star to the Left, a podcast on everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt, with my other hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Katie. This week, we're back. Uh, so you both have heard um, from us uh, the bonus Expanse ep uh, that Katie and I recorded by now, and uh, we're really excited about that. You have to listen to week? it. It's mandatory. Yes, yeah, what's in the feed, so. <laughs> How y'all doing this week? Uh, I'm pretty good. Working on music stuff. Um, I'll plug that on here. I have a electronic project I'm working on called Coriolis, which is... Plugs are at the end, Bert. Huh? Plugs what? are at the end. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I've been working on all week. Uh, it's deep wave electronic music. I've just been fiddling around with Fruity Loops and a keyboard, and it's fun. How about y'all? I had to do a business like trip, and I'm just glad to be back home uh, in my swamp because I'm Shrek. Well, I mean, <laughs> does Houston have a flooding season? Hmm? Houston has a flooding season, right? Yeah, every season. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what am I doing? I am enjoying that we're almost at a school break. And that I will not have work to do for like five days. So we, we celebrate the auspicious. No. No. Um, no, we can't take it seriously. This is the season where you have to fake being sick to avoid your racist family. Mm-hmm. That's that's the tradition. Eat too much food. You can eat too much I food mean... at your friend's place. Uh, speaking of food, uh, I am still paying the price of accidentally having a bunch of serrano pepper salsa last night Ooh. so that sounds delicious and i apologize if, if y'all for... have never had serrano peppers before do not recommend if you're not uh biologically accustomed to super spicy food because that was the yes. one where you had to like i had to drink a bunch of milk and then brush my teeth and then i was still like the bile still burned when i burped so <laughs> oh shit oh damn okay <laughs> That's not going to be fun later on either. No, I'm just warning y'all now because like there might just be a time where I'm like, gotta pause and you know just evacuate <laughs> good, all yeah, of the fluids minutes. in my body. <laughs> just make sure you edit out the five minute breaks in the episode. Well, <laughs> Somebody's just sitting there listening to iTunes, like, man, she's taking a really long time. <laughs> well, is this is this co-host just on on here just taking a shit? It's screaming about it. <laughs> yes, it's screaming. Every week we document the new shit we're taking <laughs> here on Second Star to Love. Anyway, sorry. Those, the Katie, you actually had a question this week. We're going to pause listener questions. Uh, Katie had a really great one that she found on Twitter. Which is, I'm trying to find, I sent it to the group chat, but I can't find it now. I have a whole, oh, we have to dig past us roasting Amanda Palmer. Oh God, fuck Amanda Palmer. No, don't. No, I mean, like, yeah, clearly that's, don't fuck Amanda Palmer, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, God, she's such a Erica shithead. Erica Hall uh, at Mule Girl asked, your Friday question, what's your sci-fi slash fantasy pet peeve? The detail in the world or the trope that makes you just go, oh, come on. Yeah, okay. I have to think about this because, like, I don't know if there's, like, a one, like, one specific trope that I see most commonly in sci-fi movies or, like, I guess good movies, right? I guess... It doesn't have to be good movies, and it can totally be um, a TV series, right? Yeah. I mean, for Bert, it was like the entirety of Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
all yeah that's true all of jupiter's ending was one long boring trope um i think gosh uh i want to say the inability to like contextualize anything that's happening in the future right like everything is still like analogous to whatever is happening like in our decade in our time right like oh look they still have you know cd players or you know something like that like to where i guess either the creators didn't think to be uh future futuristic enough to imagine a different form or if they're just being you know kind of like scaling it back for the audience to be able to connect to like the technology that we have today but it always sort of felt like a like really like this is interstellar travel and you don't have a different way of listening to music or you know or something like that or transportation or you know any other number of things i I love that about like isaac asimov because if you have read some of his stuff everything's atomic everything in his (laughs) books is atomic like people Mm -hmm. have many atomic nuclear generators that they strap to themselves for personal shields Spaceships are powered by robot, like robots are powered by atom engines. Like well, that, but, everything's atomic. Well, that was back when I think like a lot of nuclear power stuff did have more potential, right? It was before like we were like, oh no, nuclear fusion is out. Waste, yeah. A new, it's, it's out. It's too dangerous. Like, oh, we're not. I'm a do walking it. super fun site that can never die. So like now, like it would be everything is gas powered, and then it's steampunk, and then we have global warming, and we're all Ugh. dying. So, haha, that's the real <laughs> joke. Um. Yeah, I would say I kind of hate like this is more of a thing in film and video games and other stuff than it is in literature. Um, it's it's when like aliens are always just like humanoid things that that act like people. I mean, they might oh, yeah. like be Bert hates Star Trek. You heard it here first. Star Trek. I mean, did do that a lot, especially like early like Star Trek and early like even TNG. Yeah, I guess a lot of like. Um, I mean, like, that's, that was the big thing about, like, aliens not really seeming alien, right? Like, I mean, they ch- kind of tried sometimes to have, like, I don't know, like, Nagilam or whoever. Like, they, they'd have, like, some weird crystalline thing. But, you know, like, the crystalline in ears. But it's still, like, here's a, a person's concept of us. I mean, I understand people are writing the show. But it's like, I don't know. Get out there. Get, like, crazy with it. Do some crazy shit. But it's, it's just easier to be like, eh. What was the one it's... where they were, they found that other culture and they could only speak in like idioms? Um... Darmok? Yes, Darmok. And... I love that one. That's yeah, so it's good. great. But they're humanoids. It's, that's more focused around language though. But yeah, like... yeah. Well, I guess like, well, for me, language definitely helps define um, yeah. what feels like truly alien. Because like, oh, look, they can all like form the same phonemes that we all speak and like all this stuff. It's just like, well. How do you know that their palates and mouths could make these same right. sounds? And do you, do you all know that like Paul Winfield is the guy in Darmok? Who's Paul Winfield? I don't know who you're talking about. Paul Winfield, he's the he was the uh, captain of the Reliant from Star Trek II. Oh, that he was in Paul. Terminator. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my god! I'm not that Paul much Winfield, of a nerd. Like, I'm he was, sorry. He was the um, detective. One the one of the tech, the black detective in Terminator, oh. like he's been like countless eighties movies. Like okay, anyways, he's Darmok. He it's sounds a, like a bit awesome. player in lots of movies that I. Oh my you know, god! Why would I remember? We that? have to do a Terminator episode at some point. I'm just like putting I mean, a bookmark sure, here. Sure, but like, who are the people people remember in Terminator? You know, Linda Hamilton, yep. Michael Bean, Arnold yep. Schwarzenegger. That's it. That's the end of the list. 
There, this whole decade of movies called the 80s happened and Paul Winfield is <laughs> like very popular in that time frame. I mean, if it was like Jonathan Silverman, I'd be like, okay, cool. He was on Star Trek? Whoa. <laughs> anyway. I think uh, my favorite trope is humans are super awesome and they can figure everything out better than the aliens. Oh, Matt hates Star Trek. Matt, I do hate Star Trek. Matt <laughs> hates Titan AE, apparently. I mean... To be um, fair, I think well, he said like, as much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the the thing, one of my favorite TV shows, Farscape. Mm. What I loved about it was it had that moment of like almost every single episode is the human being told how stupid he is. Like the first like two seasons, <laughs> like why don't you understand anything? Yeah, sometimes he has the solution, but it's by like a completely different perspective as opposed to a humans are better than everyone else. Yeah. Like it, it works better. It, the show gets a little bit easier on him. Like, he does yeah. become more of the awesome human who figures everything out towards the well, end. Well, he acclimates to his surroundings, which is a human He does, thing. and I think, like, that's what the show does. Like, you know, spoiler alert, in the show, he gets sent across the galaxy and occasionally visits Earth again. What I can't does... see at home, but I pulled my headphones off immediately. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for a, like, 20-year-old TV show. The cool part about the show is that as he becomes more acclimated to alienness, he himself like becomes alienated from Earth and like yeah. can't live there anymore. And I just love that arc. It's it's so it's great. Yeah. Speaking of aliens and alienation, an let's alienation. talk about Sardavadi. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Cash, how much longer I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And Me and my family? Yeah. Cash, I'm your f***ing uncle. I just really need a job. Forty on two. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hey, hello. Uh, Mr. Davison, Cash is green here. Sorry to bust. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm never talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. As always, we'll be getting that out to you right away. You're doing so good with the voice thing. Holla, 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 holla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Going upstairs, power caller. They even have their own elevator. Welcome, power caller. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go. Sorry to bother you. We talked a little bit in the group DM about this one that this might be a Bert hates everything uh, episode, but uh, giving away the game early. If they, if they listen to another episode, they already know that. Um, <laughs> So, when did y'all first, like, encounter this movie? Did y'all see it in theaters? Like, I did. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I'd only seen, like, one, like, one of the, pre like, early previews, um, and I distinctly remember, like, going and seeing this movie, and it, it didn't seem like it had, like, a wide popularity, but I went and saw it with my friend Brent and I, and we were probably the only two white folks in the theater, which, as you can imagine, during a few particular scenes, like, we were both trying mm -hmm. to, like, recede into our chairs until we could become crushed, like, diamonds out of just, like, pure cringe. Or, mm -hmm. like, oh, God, I want to die. Mm -hmm. So. 
But that's like um, that's actually a good thing for this movie. It's like, oh yeah, you should watch this movie. It's super great. Um, you will want to die at at least one point. Um, in this movie, if you're watching it. So. Yeah, I saw it last year. Everybody in my sort of online social groups absolutely loved it, saying it was like the best movie of the year, and I had to see it. Everybody had to see it. It kind of makes sense. I mean, I know a lot of people who love the coup, the bit, the rap group, not the actual thing, and uh, you know, not the. I act. know a lot of, yeah, and I know people who probably would be into a lot of stuff in this movie. You can tell I wasn't overly enthused about seeing it, uh, but but the thing was, which we kind of talked about before I watched it, I I remembered. A lot of like what stuck with me was mostly mostly the good stuff in the movie that I actually did like. So like when we talked about it last episode, it's like oh I don't hate this movie. It's not that bad. Like I liked certain things and it was. And then I rewatched it and okay, I still don't like hate hate it, but you struggled. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah I struggled. <laughs> uh, I saw this in theaters, and we'll probably do a brief synopsis. This movie is the story of Cassius Green a struggling to make it young black man in Southern California. Um, I don't think he has like the Oakland. Oakland. That's right. Yeah. Uh, who uh, is work. Try, he gets a job as a, at a call center and learns how to advance through using his uh, white guy voice. And uh, he eventually makes his way to the top as a power caller uh, meets the head of the industry call that runs Worry Free, which is very clearly an Amazon analog. Uh, and in Worry Free, people can basically sell their lives away in exchange for economic security and terrible living conditions. He discovers that the CEO of Worry Free is planning on literally, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably watch it just because this part is a genuine, significant turn. No, listen to this part before you watch it. <laughs> no, it's so much better when you're like, what the fuck am I watching now? What happened to this movie? <laughs> Rory Free's CEO is turning people into horse-human hybrids. And he wants Cassius to become a horse hybrid himself and be the manager for the horse hybrids for several years. Uh, There's like 20 minutes left in the movie when you find this out, by the way. Cash rejects this, discovers class consciousness and solidarity, the horse people and the striking employees of the call center join together in forces and upend the man. Turns out that Cassius was given the horse substitute anyway and turns into a horse and then breaks into uh, the CEO's house and beats the shit out of him. There's like 30 seconds left in the movie when you find that out. <laughs> Actually, it's after the like the first It's literally after, yeah, the credit, yeah. It's like a stinger um, scene. <laughs> so uh, the first time I saw this one, I was, I saw it in theaters. It, it felt like, as I'd heard it about from friends, it felt like a politically important movie um, to see. Um, I can't remember if I was the only white person in the theater. I was watching it in Eastern Washington, and that's not a um, very racially diverse place. So, but I do remember watching that one scene um, of him rapping in the mansion. And, um, and wanting to die. Wanting to die, but also kind of shocked. See, that's like the scene. That's one of the scenes I was talking about that I feel like even if like I'm not that into the movie, but it's like an important scene. That it's it's visually experience. It's visually arresting. And for me, I was just like, I cannot believe that I'm seeing this in the theater. Like 
I was in like an AMC and I was like, they let this on the screen? They yeah. they were okay with like someone like putting something so outright like fuck you. This is how you see uh, you know African Americans in this country. They let someone put that in a movie theater. Like no one was like, mm, I don't know about this one. And yeah, um, it was very powerful. I think that uh, it's definitely like alienating. Um, I mean, I'm kind of wondering if there weren't studio execs who had the same reaction the white people in the scene had. <laughs> They were just like, yeah, you do that. Like, I don't, I mean, it's very cringe to me, but I bet there were people like, yeah, it's great. It's all love, comedy. This, word <laughs> for Steve, this Steve guy, he's great. He's so crazy. How'd you find, how'd you like figure out this guy? Like, where did, where's your inspiration? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a movie yeah. that on reflection, it feels like it comes from a different era. Even just the way it's shot. It was Boots Riley's um, thing that he had put the script together by 2012. And then Dad shopped it around and eventually somehow got it produced. Used it as inspiration for an album that he had done. Uh, he and his group, The Coup. It's, to me, a marvel that it ever got made. And I don't know how it did, but it is. And now it's here. Oh, I agree with that. On, on multiple levels. I don't understand how this script was shopped around since 2012. I mean, I understand how it was it was not taken by anybody for years. But I don't understand, like, how... Didn't anybody just... just retool the script like there's so much there's just too much there's too many ideas it's a mess man this movie is a mess it's just and like a lot of different ideas are really good it's just i see the way i'm viewing this disparate (laughs) i see it as he saw this as his like one shot to like get it all out there and then just like went for it right i mean like yeah i think that the first like two thirds of the movie, like part of it definitely dragged. Um, you have like the part where like he's got the job and then like the white voice and like that opening new doors. And then there's like stuff in the middle that like does seem like it's kind of dragging or like doesn't seem as like, it, I guess as important to, I, I do appreciate the twist that came out of fucking nowhere. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, I did appreciate that a lot. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like, I think that, you know, you have, uh, different characters that are, are meant to show like the importance of um, solidarity like for like you know uh, working class folks um, because so for me I think part of like why it felt like it dragged is it established the sort of like dynamic between uh, Cassius and um, Detroit it's just you know uh, Tessa Girlfriend. Thompson's character yeah his f- fiance um, like their their alienation as he becomes like more as Cassius becomes more successful and then right. like they have like this flirtation with um, Squeeze yeah Squeeze yes. so Steven, Steven Steven Yoon oh my character. god I love him in this movie so much uh, yeah I love Steven Yoon just period I um, love him yeah uh, also I also really love Steven Yoon in Tuca and Birdie uh, the Netflix show so if y'all haven't yeah. watched that he's great in that too anyway uh, so I feel like they're doing this and it feels like it drags to like set up this romance that you're kind of like not really that interested in Mm -hmm. but there is sort of a payoff in the end because like you expect that to create more of a big deal between squeeze's character and cash's character when cash finally comes around and like wants to be part of like the union and like you know worker solidarity and stuff like that and you're expecting it to be like oh no it's going to be a big thing because he slept with you know his like fiance when they were during a break and then like it ends up like not even really coming up, not from him, and then it's fine, and they're like, yeah, this is more important. So, like, 
I feel like it did sort of like maybe try to play that off, like play that up as like, here's what's more important than like, you know, petty or, you know, so quote unquote, like petty, like masculinity and um, amounts of, of like possessiveness over, mm-hmm. you know, someone's significant other and to be like, no, this is like the, the bigger cause. So it's those moments in the movie where it subverts your expectations of like what would happen in a normal movie. Like when he is uh, no no like ahead. like that that point of conflict would be like Stephen Yoon's character is going to like in a typical movie the moral arc would suggest that Stephen Yoon's character did something bad by sleeping with the hero's partner like that like sort of like patriarchal possessiveness mm-hmm. and he's going to get punished for it through the course of the movie or like learn that he was wrong or like apologize for interfering with that relationship. And that doesn't happen in the movie at all. It's not presented that bluntly, but it's by it's by far my least favorite part of this movie is the stupid love triangle that has honestly no reason to be in the movie other than to reward the audience and the protagonist at the end when he gets his girl, his possession back. And it is no, presented that way. I didn't see it that way. Again, like I saw it as a way to Steve Yoon even like turns around like well i guess i screwed that up and she likes him more than me and then he like raises her in the air in this triumphant moment like look i got my i got my possession back it's very like i don't know i didn't see it that way because i saw it again like as more of a like matt was saying as a subversion like it's setting up for you to, to see it that way right of like steven Yeun's character being punished but then that's not what happens it doesn't even come up he hears it from his partner, not from Steven Yoon, and like mm-hmm. Cash doesn't act on it at all. He does not. He's not like, "Hey, you slept with my girlfriend," or you know, "Hey, you know, Steven Yoon doesn't say that." Like, it never comes up again. They're just like, "Yeah, here we're in it together. We need to take down, you know, this company." Um, and and, and that, that it's fine. Detroit had agency in that. It wasn't like Steven Yoon seduced her. She yeah. made that choice to sleep with him. No, and she, she has agency, but also like, it just. What is the point of it being in this movie? Why is it here? I think to give what Detroit agency do? to say like she can make her own choices. Right. Why do we need why token. do we need a love triangle to give her agency? It's so like Because a love triangle would have denied her anyway. agency in other films. Right, she would have been swept up in it or, you know, whatever, but like yeah, like um, I think you're raising a good point. Like if there are multiple scenes. You don't need to have a love like, triangle to give someone agency per se. It is very clearly designed to be a conflict for the audience. Like, oh no, she's getting with Steven Yoon's character instead but of it the ends protagonist. Up not being a conflict, which is the important which, part. But it is though. At the end of the movie, like the reward for the audience is seeing Steven Yoon after he frees all the horse people. Seeing Steven Yoon be like, like turn away and be like. Aw, shucks, I didn't get the girl, and Cash did, the protagonist that we were all rooting that. for. I, I didn't it's just see him how as it's being, presented. like, regretful. It was just sort of like a shrug and walk away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well. It's just very clearly like a, look, audience, you, the, the character you identify with got what they wanted. Like, it's a, and to be fair, the movie, and, and then they go back home, and the home's over, made, like, made over, even though it's still a garage. It's like a, oh, everybody got what they wanted, happy ending, and then this, the stinger scene is supposed to be like, yeah, fuck that. Like, we don't do that. But at the same time, like, the whole love triangle thing is just, it's the scenes where, like, he's hitting on her even though she's with Cash. And then, like, it it definitely feels like it's designed to make him not look great. 
Like, I know Cassius he's not Steven. a villain in this movie. Huh? Cash or Steven Yeun's character? Steven Yeun's character. Hmm. I mean, Cash's character doesn't look great at multiple points either, but it's definitely like when he's hitting on her, even though she's with Cash, that's like, okay, that's kind of shitty. And then when they've literally just broken up and they're clearly going through whatever at the art exhibition show thing. But she initiates that. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just like, I feel like it's presented the way it's presented in the movie to make you, the audience, be like, to, it's supposed to create a conflict, like the conflict that Cash would have with it, which is like, you yeah. get all that when I they get talk. I it, but I feel like it's yeah. denied you. Like, you don't yeah. actually get that conflict because, again, like, you realize that the cause or whatever is, like, superseded by, like, whatever conflict it is. And also, I think there was a, an acceptance from Cash that, like, okay, yeah, we were broken up. Yeah, you did this thing. Like, because she was like, what do you want? We were broken up. And he was just sort of like, huh. So you know, if, like, if the, but yeah, if the characters don't see it as a big deal why is it presented in the language of the movie as a big deal why is it presented to you as a conflict when it's not i think like, it's, that's it's part of the the faint of the film though like i think riley makes all these sort of little things that like so so to, let's start with like the early parts of the movie we assuming we've seen the trailer we have a brief idea of what the movie's about we know it's politically left and you know radical whatever you go to the theater you sit down and see it and cash yelling at his landlord going like one day people in this country are going to take things back from you and we're going to do this and like he's already starting to set your expectations like what kind of movie this is going to be and then he just like twists it and be like dude i'm your fucking uncle like here's yeah, the reality like of this like thing like too. this isn't a this isn't going to be an easy story of like you know like a um it's a wonderful life level of like class consciousness this is going to be a this is the reality of capitalism now as we experience it and live it now that where like my family member is my landlord. What kind of things? Struggling. Yeah, we're all struggling here. See, I like that takeaway, but that's not the takeaway I get. Which is, and, and it happens throughout the movie. Is we have like leftist class conscious politics and people that use those, and those people are always presented as satirically as the people that are taking advantage of everyone. Like, like Steve Yoon yeah, squeeze squeezes like leading this this union uh strike and saying like completely ridiculous things that make him look like embarrassing and you know uh you got like the people that are wrapped up in the union because even though they don't really care about the issues that like a uh, cash's friend who's just like talking about how he'll beat up people and whatever and then like it, it or like or like the art exhibition. Um, yeah, it's super on the which nose. which is totally ludicrous. It's super like, on the nose, but that's like the whole film. Like, there's a TV show in it called uh, "I Got the Shit Beat Out of Me." That's kind of poignant, though. That is deliberately like mocking what we actually have on television. But like when you're mocking like union strikes and stuff and and class class politics, kind of like, well, what what is your aim here just to mock is it just like we live in a society i don't think he was mocking like especially knowing what i know about boots riley he definitely wasn't mocking like class consciousness and unions like it was basically showing the importance of it right because essentially the unions won out it's also sort of a heightened to me like a heightened surreality of that's what i yeah that's more of what i get from the whole movie is a kind of like 
Like, it, this it makes is all these on comments the on reality, but it's it's in a surreal environment where everything it's almost like watching a cartoon the whole time. Yeah. Like, but then like you don't like when the, when the movie tries to be serious, it doesn't <laughs> land for me. Like like when the movie has like it's it's weird to try to have it both ways. Where for example, he starts to take telemarketing calls and gets literally surrealistically dropped into somebody's living room where yeah. like two people are having sex, and I'm like, okay, we're doing a wacky thing. And then the very next sequence is him dropping in a, like an old lady's house where she's like, my my husband's dying of stage four cancer, and suddenly I'm think, supposed to I don't feel think it's things. Supposed to be wacky. Like, serialism isn't necessarily wacky. But right? the movie has it both ways. It It is wacky, and then is immediately like, no, no, this is super serious. But now yeah, it's wacky again. constant, like, whiplash, like, with, again, like, what you think is going to happen and what happens. And I think that that's purposeful, like, um, subversion of, again, like, expectations. Like, oh, is this a comedy? Psych, no, we're going to bring you back to, like, how shit actually sucks. But it's in the same way that I think a lot of us, like... I mean, this is fucking Dada. Like, this is some Dada shit. The whole movie in the way that it's presented, which is, like, we have to be ridiculous in order to cope with the nightmare of our society. But we still, like, want to point out that, like, there is... To show, like, how ridiculous it is, but also make a point on how it can be better. I don't think we have to be ridiculous, though. Or you could just do... I don't know. Like the two I think things... it's ironic considering that we are all on Twitter and like, let's be real about how we tweet. <laughs> sure, but like my... Okay, actually, you know what? I had that exact thought while watching this movie. I had that exact thought. I said, you know what this is like? It's like somebody going down my Twitter feed and just reading one tweet at a time. Like sometimes I just want to make a joke about Bill Crystal or something and what a shithead he is. And I don't, and it's totally offhanded and who gives a shit. And other times I want to make a really serious statement about some other thing. And other times I just want to be depressed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, though, Very much. is I am not going to make a movie that's a fucking hour and a half of my Twitter feed because that's not entertaining. Like, I know I'm not entertaining people. I will plug my Twitter at the end of the episode. <laughs> But I do not expect you to spend an hour and a half like scrolling down and reading it because it's just like, like it's nice to have every once in a while show up on your feed. This is the best defense I can give of my Twitter feed. But you know, like as a movie, it's like I'm just baffled the whole time. Like, what what am I supposed to be feeling? Because it's all over the place. I'm just like constantly being jerked around, and then by the end of the movie, complete. You know out the window now it's like it's like it's like it suddenly became a gimmick twitter account like holy shit we're doing something insane so i don't yeah <laughs> not to you know drop like extra seed knowledge but like part of that uh like he, he did an interview with democracy now where he talked about like part of this is about sort of false consciousness and that's part of the like the way that he designed this movie. You know, the the intention of this film is totally like I want to deliver these messages for you, and sorry for those messages intruding on your typical film. So like, to me that was just like it continues to back up this sort of like um, sorry to bother you. Yeah, sorry to bother you. Like FYI, this like is fucked up. Like yeah. I get it's like a countercultural like like fuck you to the to the conventions of film type thing and the thing well, is, no, is but it's not even that though it's not just relating to film right it is it is like being it is calling out fake wokeness in a way that's like sorry but your your brand of like being woke or consciousness isn't yeah. actually 
the way that the world works. So I'm fine with that. It's just as a film, the structure is totally fucked. It's all over the place. Like this, this movie just changes gears like every fucking 10 minutes. And you're like watching a completely different thing. And you're like, wait, what? Where am I? Why am I watching this? And listen, I, I experience kind of dissonance with this because like I've watched a lot of David Lynch recently i love david lynch and this is a dude who does not give a shit about the conventions of film he will do whatever the fuck he wants at all times whether the plot quote-unquote makes sense or not but the thing is is like thematically and tonally it always makes sense like it has a through line and you can get somewhere where you're like okay i understand and watching this i was just like see visually and narratively i liked this better than david lynch i i but I'm There's... also not like a film snob, so, <laughs> and I am very much like into Dada, like both of Let's last get ready to rumble. <laughs> Cinematography yeah. wise, I just don't. There's not many visuals in this movie, short of like, you know, a, a giant horse with the with a big rubber dick no, that I that I really. It's... It's, it's, it's the surrealism, like, being dropped, right? It is, like, fashion. There's a lot of clothing. Like, Cash, of course, has Thompson's, like, everything that she's making. Um, <clears throat> I love that they, as someone who makes their own, like, wacky fucking earrings that are wild all the time, like, I really appreciated that. I appreciated her, the, the Future is Female Ejaculation shirt um, that, you know, is prominently displayed pretty early on. Um I liked the way that they did the the cut for like when he's basically like doing the the glow up part where he's like getting you know paid better and like how like they're kissing in bed and then everything else around them changes like I thought that that was interesting and I thought it was done in a really weird way and I just love like really weird shit um, and I also I think the reason I also like this more than a lot of other movies is that note that it ended on wasn't despairing. It wasn't like, oh, here's the sad dystopia that we live in. It's like, no, the message it ended was like, I'm going to beat the go, shit out people. We need to go kill billionaires. Yeah. Break down their houses and do it now. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with this shit, man. For and, sure. And I love the, okay. Again, this is the end of the movie. So hopefully you got there before you got to this point in the podcast. <laughs> when he literally turns that phrase, like, Sergeant Bobby was like, oh shit, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now, I actually, okay, I agree with all of those points, and I find all those things really interesting. Wait, wait the, you don't the, like David Lynch? You thought this was not as no, I don't agree with better that. than Fuck David that. Lynch? No, not at all. No, the <laughs> point she made after that. But the point is, like, the, the thing I'm trying to say is, like, there are all kinds of interesting, like, things in this movie, and ideas, and, and presented things, but the problem is, is, like, it feels to me kind of hollow it feels like a big shotgun blast of cool things that ultimately doesn't really have a lot to say See? like it i understand what you like yes there is an overarching like you know we have to take back this from the billionaires but the problem is is like the <laughs> the plot that it's telling this on and the way it it like when when your movie is all over the map and you get to the fucking wacky twist where everybody's horse people, like, with 30 minutes left, it really loses a lot of impact that it could have had. And and a lot of these things that, like, he's trying to say lose a lot of their edge when when they're at the service <coughs> of, like, this, this, I don't know, this story that's all over the place. Like, it, it just doesn't... I wouldn't call it, it hollow. For me, it's overly stuffed. Like, there's a lot. <laughs> 
and sure. it tries to okay. do too much. That that for me, if, if if I would if oh. I were to like give a critique, that's of a content, better yes. It it that's it tries to do too much. Um, and it's, it tries... it's the stuffed it's the stuffed crust pizza of. I was of thinking of like movies. a donut, just like you like bite into it, just like jelly gets everywhere. Like ah shit. Yeah, it's like my Twitter account. Like it's trying to do my Twitter account would probably be way more effective and reach more people if I would just focus on like one thing, you know, that bothers me or that I'm really into. But instead, it's like it's just fucking scattershot of my life. So like, it's just manic and but all over the place. How do so, people get popular on Twitter? Good they question. Do, like, usually, because I feel like I should be more popular. <laughs> usually, like through branding and stuff. We're like not just branding, but like you know, you have like something you offer to people that they. Yeah, you, you you create a viral tweet, like like you get something like all, all of a sudden you get more attention. But you and have to continue that. Like that's what I'm. There's a lot of people that struggle with that. Like like they make a funny tweet and then they're like, oh now I'm a comedy account, even though they're not like you know yeah. comedians. So then so, so like this movie, like you have to get some kind of message, some kind of hook to pull people in, and then you know keep delivering. And for you, the end of the film doesn't deliver. Like almost. Mo- like honestly most of the movie doesn't deliver there's like there's little shots yes there's there's the entire sequence okay here's the other thing i'm just gonna go through the notes okay <laughs> it, this is a this is a like satirical comedy type film there are definitely jokes in this movie okay there are like set up punchline jokes and honestly like get out is a funnier movie than this movie and that is like ostensibly a horror film I did not laugh much in this movie. There's a lot of jokes that are just like, okay, that's not really that funny. Um, there's the, the the few moments. There's there's a part where um, they have the fight at the the union strike, and it turns out into like, um, you smell good. What do you have? like? It turns into a really passive aggressive. Like they keep complimenting each other. That's pretty funny. Um, pretty much anything where. At the end, where he takes the coke and the guy is, um, what's the guy's name? Steve Lift. He's trying to like explain, like make the offer, and it just gets more and more absurd. That's pretty funny. The telemarketing stuff isn't really that funny. There, there's the scene in like the VIP room that I feel like is supposed to be funny, and it's just kind of like that's not really funny. It's just play. It's like a cul-de-sac. It's just like here's a big joke that doesn't land, and then it's over. See, I don't know if I'd say those were yeah. jokes. Like, uh, what yeah. are they? Why are they in the movie? <laughs> have you never been to like those types of bars or clubs before? Well, of course I haven't. You already know the answer to that. <laughs> There's the joke, right? Like, okay, some places do. And like like he's saying, like, why would this place have a VIP thing? And you go in and it's ridiculous. And you hate it and it's miserable. But it is like that mark of like coolness or like conspicuous consumption you're like oh yeah it's so good even though it's like no man fucking okay so be it there's stuff in this movie like that where it's observational and you can relate to it but it's not like yeah it's not funny and it's it's not even really like yeah yeah it's just kind of like okay well yeah that happens it's that surreal satire piece and i think it's meant to ease you into the language that bert riley or boots riley is going to talk to you about like talk to you (laughs) talk to you (laughs) in because like it's very like on the nose and very like hanging a lantern on it to use the writing term. Yeah. That's another note I have is unsubtlety. Yeah. yeah, And and so like, he's trying to get you in that space of, I'm going to talk to you this way. So like, it's kind of condescending to be a realistic film. This isn't going to be a realistic film. And he wants you as the audience member to know that. Yeah. But I'm not stupid. Like it really feels like for the, for the, 
for the simpletons in the back, here's like they they have the earrings, okay? The big fucking fuck off huge earrings that you can see from space, okay? And you can read them and she shows up with the earrings like first thing and then they're like, "Oh, nice earrings." Camera zoom in on the earrings. Do you like them? I made them like, "Yes, I get it, Boots. I get it." She has she has earrings that I'm not like a child. You don't have to treat me like a child. There's like a Diana debauchery, Debo Cherry or whatever. I thought she, her character was great. <laughs> she spe- her character's great. She spells it out on the board. It's spelled like debauchery. Cash's friend goes, hey, like debauchery. And then she's like, yeah, but you don't say. I'm like, yes, yes, movie. I understand. I am here. You don't have to like hammer it into my head. Like, yes, dumb guy. Here's the joke I am making with the film. It's well, like, not everyone is, would necessarily like put that together. Like, I don't, she I don't spells think it trying... on the board. <laughs> do, do, you might have a really like adept like account and like vocabulary of knowing how things are both spelled and pronounced. But like, not everyone is going to be, especially not everyone in the audience. So I don't think that it's insulting. I think truly, like, not everyone is going to have the same like breadth of uh film of, like, language. And yeah, so I mean, it, but the earrings are like just a straight up fucking statement. It's it's I'm honestly yes, surprised. Yes, they are a fashion statement. As someone but then, who wears bu- <laughs> fucking like yeah. Barbie so, earrings that I have made myself, yeah, it's a big fucking statement. So if it's a big fucking statement, you don't have to have actual characters in the movie make a literal statement and then the camera make a figurative statement on it. It's it's a statement already. You're you're overdoing it. And then like she, I'm actually surprised when she came out with this with the shirt, you know. About female ejaculation that her uncle's not like, oh, what's your shirt say? The fucking camera zooms in on it and says, oh, female ejaculation. Oh, my God. And then we have to have a scene. Like, just calm down. Like, I I get you want to do big things and make, like, big statements in your movie. But, like, they don't have to be so. They don't make comments on, like, every set that she wears. I think she has at least six different. The camera zooms in on on half of them. I get it though. Like I, I should be paying attention to the earrings. Like you don't have to lead me by the hand. I'm, 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 it's, it's condescending. It's, it's honestly, it's like in a big action movie where, you know, they start fucking playing the blaring industrial music and and doing big explosions and. Why'd and you hate the Blade movie so much? <laughs> <laughs> it's doing everything to like treat you like a child. It's like I'm not a child. I know what I'm watching. And and plus, when you have, like, these interesting ideas, I don't know, like, you, I think there's things in this movie that don't treat you like you're, like you're, like you need to be let on, like, like the, um. So what ideas do you want to breathe more? You know, I don't want to say, I don't get to this place of, like, how we would rewrite the film, but what are things that you wanted more of from the film? You know, there's, there's, like... So, well, let's talk about things I liked about the film. I mean, like, um, the fight at the picket line is really funny. A lot of the movie feel like a lot of that scene feels unscripted. I think that's why I find it funny. Or like the rap, the, the freestyle rap scene also feels kind of unscripted, even though, it, you know, the, the ultimate line is, is scripted. But like, there's a kind of natural vibe to some of the dialogue, which is good. But anytime the movie starts to try to be like funny or poignant it's it tries it's to tell very... you a message huh when it tries to tell you a message yeah people start like acting like really hard they're doing like like comedic acting and they don't feel natural anymore and it's like i'm not like watching 
like now we have to do the funny part and it's not like the same that that's why that scene when they have that fight that argument where they're talking about their cologne and everything feels funny because it's just like it's two guys playing off of each other and not reading lines that are that are messages you know what i mean um the surreal set pieces are really good when he drops into people's houses. They have that animated scene near the end, which is fucking wacko with the uh, the movie that Steve Lift shows. Yeah, yeah, uh, stop motion animation. Yeah. Animation, yeah. It feels like it. It's fucking weird. But it's also like not anything you would ever see in claymation. It's like a fucking uh, Bakshi film or something. It's fucking weird. The stuff in the elevator is like the elevator voice is funny. You know, the white voice is, is funny as an idea. I feel like it it's used in a lot of scenes as a joke, and it's not really that funny. It's like, look what this black person would say, but we have David Cross saying it. Which is like, yeah, I See, get for it. me, like, I think of, like, white people voice, or white person voice, and I think of Pete Buttigieg. Yes, the concept is great. But, like, when it's played for laughs in the movie, I kind of feel like... Yeah, it's... Is it Buttigieg or Buttigieg? Oh, I guess it doesn't actually... Buttigieg? Yeah, um... The most uh, milk toast. Mayo Pete, yeah. <laughs> I think, if I was to, you know, again, summarize sort of my take on it, I think what you're seeing and feeling that conflict with is part of the... It's the sorry to bother you of sorry to bother you. I, I think this is a film that... You have to kind of like, I think, let yourself get taken along for the ride, and the ride takes you some cool places. There's definitely moments where, like, you don't connect with what's going on. Um, like I said, I think it's a little full. And the the horse uh, twist. Equisapiens. Uh, is <laughs> just something, like, I didn't see coming, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Dude, I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't think literally anyone who watched this movie was like, ah, horse people, that's where they're going. And, and, Technically, I would say the horse person is the the biggest reason that this is a relevant issue. Like, but this the is the only reason like, we're doing it on the show. Yes, exactly. But like, this is the thing we haven't even talked about. Sort of like the race issues. Um, we talked a little bit about the gender issues when it, like the gender dynamics. This is a rich film, and and so maybe that's it. Like it's like cheesecake. You know, it's just like really rich. And it's fucking person... French onion soup. Okay, I want yes, like I, I love French onion soup. Um, I do too, but two 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 salty. spoonfuls, and then sure. I'm like, this is fucking rich as hell, man. I'm done. I, I'm a person who like I can't stand cheesecake for the most part, and like I have like two bites. So I'm like, wow, that was just a lot. Okay, perfect. And this yeah. might be a movie that like you know for some people it's it's a lot, but I do think it's really interesting. There are really arresting moments in it, and I do think that there's something to be said for sort of giving us a shared language. Um, that we don't see a lot of movies these days um, to talk to each other in, in film. And um, I would encourage people to just check this movie out. It is definitely something that you're going to go on a ride for. I think, and, and just kind of let yourself like go for that ride. Um, Steve List's character is fucking insane, but yeah, so he's great. good. Um, shout out to uh, Army Hammer, who apparently is also kind of lefty. I think he's a Bernie Sanders supporter, which is dope. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's, this is a, this is a kick-ass movie. It's a lot. Like I said, I think Boots Riley was like, I got my, well, I think Boots Riley was like, I got my shot. I'm going to fucking go for it. And just like, you know, out. shotgun blast it. And you're like, okay, well, here we are. 
I mean, I respect him as a filmmaker and as a as a creative person. It's just he needs somebody to edit down his movies, <laughs> which he and, and he's never going to let them do that, which I understand yeah, yeah. too. So yeah. that's fine. It is what it is. So I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, where can we find you all on social media? I'm on Twitter at refreshing time. Um, also at Coriolis Music. Check that out because that's more in focus and less mindless rambling from from Bert. And I'm at in May Weed Fart sixty nine. No commentary on that. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at a very big bear. Follow the cast at Second Star Cast. Email us secondstarcast at gmail dot com. And um, yeah, we would love to hear from feedback from you in terms of writing and everything else. Um, and write in, give us your questions, commentary, rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. It will help us find new audience members. Next week, we'll be discussing the 1996 Tim Burton film, Mars Attacks. We'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you.